0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from verses 16 through 20. Hebrews 6, verses 16 through 20. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end to every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, that's you and me, The unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. He threw an oath on top of the promise. I mean, a promise from God should be good enough, but God doubled downs on it and goes, I'm going to throw an oath on top of this just so you get it. I want you to know. I'm going to give you the promise, and I'm throwing on top of that oath. I will fulfill that promise in your life. In order that by two unchangeable things, that is the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to... Lie. He's not going to lie with the promise. And, of course, when he doubles down on it and says, I will, with an oath, say, I will fulfill the promise. These two th- unchangeable things, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us, in laying hold of the hope set before us, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us to follow. He entered as a forerunner leading the way for us to follow, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, right now, I place my flesh, I place my fear, I place my doubts, I place my self-preservation behind the cross. I pray, Lord, this morning that the anointing would flow freely, unhindered by my fears, unhindered by the desire of man's approval, unhindered by pride, unhindered by my desire for acceptance. Holy Spirit, enlighten God's words to us. Impart revelation on spending time on the other side of the veil to each member of my covenant family, the family of the Rock. May these words that I share with them this morning be a spoken sapphire to your people. Amen. The message that I share with you this morning is spending time on the other side of the veil. Now, some translations use the word within the veil. Others use the terminology through the veil. And some talk about beyond the veil. The New Living Translation puts it this way, through the curtain of heaven into God's inner sanctuary, and the Revised Standard Version says, a hope that enters into the inner shrine behind the curtain. Well, regardless of the terminology, what we're considering this morning is how we might, by faith, step through the torn veil of the natural realm, the natural dimension, into the new covenant, Holy of Holies, where we may fully experience God's presence I have a couple of handouts that were back there on that table if you did not pick one up and would like one Tom will pass them out to you one is the outline that you can use to add notes to and follow along the other I've written down the major points of the teaching so that you don't have to sit there and go so fast you can work off of those however you'd like to do it if you're a note taker We are going to look at five things. We're going to look at how. How do we enter this place? How do we enter into this inner shrine, this inner sanctuary on the other side of the veil? We're going to look at where. Where beyond the veil is? Where is it located? We're going to look at what we may experience. And I say may. What we may experience when we spend time behind the veil. Because we're going to discover that what we take in with us, what we take in with us impacts what we hear there and what we see there. And then we're going to look we're going to consider confirmation. We're going to look at how we know when we've entered in. What are we get, how, when how are we can to get to that place where we go I know I'm there. And then finally, we're going to look at what some of the results of spending time on the other side of the veil are. I want to start with just a little disclaimer here. I am not proficient at spending time on the other side of the veil. I don't have it wired. In fact, the reality is there's probably many in here who I believe are more proficient at this time than I am. I have had a little bit of a difficult summer and spring, and, and, and I just want to share with you a little bit of background here. God started nudging me almost a year ago on this message and saying, I want you to share this revelation, this message with your covenant family, the Rock. And I complied. I started taking notes. I started... Uh, middle of the night, I would get up and jot down the things that I believed he was dropping in, the pictures and the phrases and the terminology, and it was going well for a while, but as some of you know, I struggle with things. I struggle just like everybody else. Sometimes it seems like a lot worse, but the reality is I, I, I would bump into things. I would have meltdowns. I would have missteps. I would I'd, uh, go through a little bout of depression. I would uh, have a fit of anger. Um panic attack, and each time I had a misstep, <laughs> I'd holler out at God, and I can't do this, I am not teaching this message, I'm not doing it, find somebody else, find one of those people that I'm thinking that, you know, has, a, has more proficient in this than I am, that's the trouble with the teacher, as a, as a, I don't know if all of them go through it, but a lot of teachers go through this struggle of teaching something that, uh, that they're not doing well. And going, you feel like a hypocrite. God, how can I teach this thing you're showing me when I suck at it? I mean, that's bottom line. And so I would shout out at God, I can't do it. I'm not doing it. I'd literally put my notes together and go, put it away, and I'm done. I'm not doing it. Adamant. You know, sometimes shouting at him angrily because I'm not living up to what I am, <laughs> who I am, what God's put on the inside of me. But here's the reality. You know, I would always relent and repent had come back at it, start again after a few days or a few weeks, depending on how big the meltdown was. But I've shared this with you before. Years ago, I read that to withhold revelation, to withhold a teaching that God has given you to give to somebody else, simply because you're not living up to it, because you're not proficient, it is no different than a man with a warehouse full of food, unwilling to share it because he himself is not able to digest it. And that image has impacted me. It's what kept me getting up there and doing it even though I didn't measure up. And so I got back up and I kept doing it and here I am. And there was another thing that was haunting me this whole time. That's Psalms 158. Uh, what verse is it? Psalms 158. I'm sorry. Psalms 119 verse 158. That kept coming to me from the message. I took one look at the quitters and was filled with loathing they walked away from your promises so casually i don't want to be one of those i don't i mean at, eight, at 18 years of age i made a qualified decision that i was going to live my life by faith the rest of my days i was going to live by faith not by i was going to live by the promises I was so adamant, I told Jill, early days of my marriage, I said, put it on my tombstone. I don't care if I die, early die, young die, oh, put it on my tombstone. I'm going to live by faith. So as often as I'm tempted to quit, and I am, I'm tempted to quit, but I don't want to be one of those. I don't want to be, I want to live by the promise. I don't want to walk away from his promises casually. So here I am, I'm back up here. Here's the reality though. Even though I've struggled with standing, spending time on the other side of the veil, the reality is I had to spend some time there. I wouldn't be standing up here if I didn't. I had to spend enough time there to get the message, to get the revelation. I had to spend enough time there to stand up here and do this because I had to see myself doing this before I could get up here. And that is one of the purposes of spending time on the other side of the veil. That is doing what you have to see yourself doing, what God tells you to do and spending time on the other side of the veil does that. Okay, we're going to get started here, but now as we begin this teaching, I want you to remember, we've talked about this often, revelation transcends the intellect. It is revealed spirit to spirit. God's spirit ministering it directly to your spirit. Another place in the Bible calls it deep, speaking to deep. It transcends the intellect. So if you find yourself with some of these issues of, Spending time on the other side of those. Some of the things that I share, if you go, that's tough to comprehend, please don't dismiss it. Don't dismiss it. It transcends the intellect. What you need to do is build yourself a spiritual shelf. Put that thing, put that thing that God's stirring in you, but you're going, I don't get it, I don't get it. We all, I don't care who you are. Everybody has struggled with that, going at first, going, I don't get it, I don't get it. But if you refuse to dismiss it, Don't go saying, I can't understand it. You can. It's it's not about up here. It's down here. Say, I will understand it. Seek God. Jesus said, seek and you will find. If you put that on the shelf these next two weeks, this is part one of two, if you will put that on a spiritual shelf, just build yourself a little spiritual shelf, put it up there, and as the pieces of the puzzle, as you gather more pieces, you keep putting them up there. It's just like a puzzle. You start seeing where they go. You start getting those edge ones. All of a sudden, you'll be able to reach up there, drop it in, and you go, I see it, and the revelation will hit your heart never to be lost. You, can't, you cannot depart from revelation. Concepts, yes. If all you have is a concept, an image of God, you can depart from that. But once you get a revelation, I don't care. I, you just cannot depart from it. Okay. God, I promise you, God will give you a revelation if you say, I want it. Let's begin by considering this. What is the veil? What is this veil? Under the new covenant realities of experiencing God... What to us is the veil? I believe it is representative of the flesh or the natural physical dimension. A veil is used to conceal something. So in our case this morning, the flesh or the natural physical world is acting as a veil concealing something. In Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 20 we read this. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated through the veil, that is His flesh. This verse is telling us that His flesh was a veil. His flesh was a veil. Jesus' flesh was torn to reveal His glory. His flesh concealed the glory that was within him on the mount of transfiguration in matthew 17 jesus momentarily pulled that flesh back so that james peter james and john could get a glimpse of that glory and in that moment they saw his face shine as bright as the sun and his clothes his garments became white as light our flesh in the same way, conceals the glory of God that is in us. The glory of God that is in our recreated spirit, our flesh conceals that, and it too needs to be torn. It needs to be pulled back. It needs to be subjugated for us to break through and enter in behind the veil of the natural realm in order to fully experience God. In the Old Testament, the veil was a curtain separating mankind from the presence of God It was a physical barrier keeping people from experiencing his presence, his glory. This was for their sake. Just like, how many of you remember the Garden of Eden? What did Jesus do? What did God do when he drove Adam and Eve out of the garden? He placed at the east entrance of the Garden of Eden two cherubim. We're going to be dealing with cherubim today. And a flaming sword, they had a flaming sword that turned in every direction to prevent Adam from what? Going to the tree of life, eating from it and living forever in our fallen state. It was for their benefit. And in the same way, it was for the benefit of the Old Testament people, the nation of Israel. It was a physical barrier so that see, it was for their sake. They were not born again. It would have, if they would have experienced God's glory, it would have Taken them out, they would have ceased to live. In fact, when Moses asked to see the face of God in Exodus thirty-three twenty, what did he say? He says, "No man can see my face and live." Now, I don't think God was saying, "If I show you, I'll have to kill you." I just—that's not God. What I think was God was saying to Moses was, "If I—if he said you will cease to live here, if you see me in my totality, it would be like one of those." black holes that suck everything into it. I, you know, I think what God was saying was that if you see me, if you see my glory, you can long, no longer live here. You'll be sucked into my dimension. You just won't be able to hold back. So he was doing it for their benefit. It was for mankind's benefit. The veil was a no trespassing sign under the Old Covenant. That's that's what the curtain under the the veil was a no-trespassing sign. But under the new covenant, it's completely different. It switched around. The the no-trespassing sign under the new covenant has been taken down. And now it now it's flipped completely around. We actually see God in order to live. Completely the opposite. Jesus brought God out where he can be seen. That's what John 1.18 tells us. That's what Hebrews 1.3 explains to us. In fact, Jesus' own words in John 14.9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So under the new covenant, we see God and live. The Old Testament veil The Old Testament veil is now symbolic to us of the natural, physical realm being a barrier for us experiencing God's presence. The natural realm can depict God. I will give you that. The natural realm can depict God just as the Old Testament veil did, and we're going to get to that in a moment, but it also, like the veil, keeps us from fully experiencing Him. And God's desire is for us to fully experiencing Him. Paul said that we are to be filled up to the fullness of God. God's desire that we experience him in his fullness, and that's why he sent his word in John chapter 1, the living word, Jesus. Exodus 26, 31 gives us a glimpse, gives us a glimpse of that Old Testament veil, and we're going to be reading from the New Living Translation here. For the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen, decorate it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Okay? Get this picture here. This is the Old Testament veil. It's no different, I mean, it, it's, it's very similar to the entranceway to the Garden of Eden. The cherubim are there basically presenting a no trespassing sign. The temple veil with these embroidered cherubim marked the entrance to the Holy of Holies. And next we have on the screen, we have a picture of the Old Testament veil. Artistic rendering. On the veil was an embroidered image. An image of the golden cherubim which were on the other side of the veil inside the Holy of Holies. It was a representation Keep in mind these words, representation of the cherubim. It was a two-dimensional image. It had height and width. But it was, this embroidered picture was lacking a dimension. What's this picture missing? It's missing the dimension of depth. It was simply a picture, a two-dimensional picture of a reality that obviously would have more than two dimensions. But on a veil or on a picture, we're limited As to how we represent three-dimensional realities. We are limited by the two-dimensional plane. The veil was limited to only depicting, depicting the greater reality, the greater reality that lay behind the curtain. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 3 through 5 reveals the reality of the embroidered pictures on the on the veil. Behind the second veil. There was a tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna. And Aaron's rod, which budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Next, we have a picture on the screen of what it may have looked like in the Holy of Holies behind the veil on the other side of the curtain. Here we see the golden cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant looking down on the lid, or what the Bible calls the mercy seat, which is symbolic of the throne of God. Now, the picture does not reveal this, but suppose that I had a 3D model of the Holy of Holies up here on the stage, a large 3D model. How many dimensions would it reveal? It's kind of a duck question. I said a 3D model, there'd be three dimensions, height and width and depth. Okay, So outside of the veil, one saw the embroidered cherubim in only two dimensions. But when the high priest passed through the veil on the Day of Atonement with the blood of the sacrifice, he would see the cherubim in what? Three dimensions. All three dimensions, height, width, and depth. These are important things. I'm, I'm asking you to bear with me as we lay the foundation for entering in and what we might experience when we go into the New Covenant Holy of Holies. He would see something of substance. He would see something solid. He would see something real, something of structure. He would see the reality of the cherubim. And when he passed through the veil, where was he? He was in the Holy of Holies, right? The dwelling place of God, where God's presence was established under the New Covenant, under the Old Covenant, I'm sorry. So outside the veil, he saw the cherubim, which are symbolically the glory of God. He saw them limited, limited to the place of two dimensions. But inside, another dimension is added, the dimension of reality. Now, for those of you who sat through the years-long message of living life in the spiritual dimension here at the Rock, and it was long, it was five-plus years, I admit to that, For those of you who sat through that message, a light bulb might might just have switched on. On the other side, on the other side, another dimension is added, a dimension of reality. And the difference is as, as, as significant as going from 2D to 3D, from a picture to a structure. There are realities that we can never know Until we move beyond the veil, enter into the new covenant, holy of holies, and experience the presence of God there. Experience Him. Experience His glory in His dimension. If we want to experience those realities, we must push through the veil. We must push through the embroidered images we have of God. We must push through the images of the religious Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? The religious Jesus. I believe it's represented by that picture you may have seen when you were little in maybe a small church somewhere and up on the wall behind the pulpit or in a Sunday school room, a picture of Jesus with a large pizza pan behind his head and bands of light radiating from it. How many of you have seen that picture? Okay. I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing biblical or religious art. I'm not. I'm just saying that sometimes religious art and how it's created images in our mind of God and of Jesus keep us from experiencing intimacy with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But if we want to experience those realities that are on the other side of the veil, we've got to push through those embroidered images of God. We've got to push through the religious Jesus. We've got to press our way in. If we've got to go, we've got to press through them and step into the fourth dimension. The fourth dimension to us, God's dimension, beyond height and width and depth, to see rea- to see reality, to experience reality in God's dimension. Let me allow me to describe it like this. I know everybody in here probably has a favorite vacation spot or a dream vacation that you have question I want to ask you is how many of you have take, ever taken a picture, a photograph of your dream? I don't care whether it's a mountain cabin, a resort, a cruise ship, or a hiking trail up. How many of you ever put that up on the refrigerator or the wall in your home as you prepare and anticipate or on your computer as you anticipate and prepare for to build anticipation for that vacation? How many of you have done that? Nobody's ever done that? Okay, we've got a couple of them. I... When we do that, We build anticipation. We look at those pictures. and Let's let's just throw Disney World in there, okay? Let's use that as an example. You're going to take your kids to Disney. You put that up there, and for months, sometimes maybe 12 months for that kind of a trip, you prepare and anticipate, and your kids may get giddy about it as they talk about what they're going to do, and they see the pictures. Let's, Let's say it's a Disney cruise, and they see the pictures of the slides and all the fun stuff they're going to do. But how many of you know that there... There's something completely different. Being there, in that, seeing depth, seeing dimension is something completely different, isn't it, than what those pictures produce. As giddy and as excited as you can get about the pictures, there's something different about a picture of Waikiki Beach and walking in the sand. There's something different about a cruise ship picture on the wall and talking about it, anticipating it, and setting sail. I want to say this, I believe that every one of us, every living human, every sane. No, I don't care. Sane or insane. I believe that every single human being would love to experience God in that same way. Being there with depth and dimension and solidity. See, here's the reason. We, it's why we pay 10, 15 grand to go to Disney World, isn't it? I'll tell you why, because the picture's not enough. The picture doesn't take you into the exhibits of Epcot Center. The the picture won't take you to the magic of Magic Kingdom. The picture doesn't give you the smells of Animal Kingdom. Being there with dimension, with depth, and everybody, everyone, desires to experience God in that same way. And I believe we would pay more than 10, 15 grand to travel there. And here's the reality. We can. We can travel there. We can experience God in a place where, and I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about where we experience spiritual solidity, spiritual structure, spiritual reality. But most Christians, most Christians are stuck here on the outside of the veil in the natural realm, looking at the pictures, looking at the embroidered images of God, looking at the images of that religious Jesus with the pizza pan behind his head. It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily our fault. I'm not blaming them. I'm not blaming us. It's not entirely our fault. The thing is, we've not been taught to go in. We've not, taught that we, we've not been taught that we can go in. And we've not been taught how to go in. Well, this morning I want to share the how. And the how is hope. Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. We read this from the New American Standard. In order that by two unchangeable things, that is the promise and the oath again, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement. We who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope that is set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters or takes us in within the veil. This hope enters the veil. It enters within the veil. The hope is set before us. It's set before us, but we must lay hold of it. We must lay hold of it. This hope set before us is not human hope. It's not, it is not derived from natural resources. It's not derived from experience. It's not derived from anything. It's not, it's not based on taxpayer bailouts. This hope is not based on doctor's credentials or doctor's reports. This kind of hope that we're talking about is not based on lottery tickets or anything from the natural realm, from natural resources. No, this hope is supernatural. It's God's hope. It's a spiritual force given to us as a gift and it transcends natural realm resources. And it's set before us to utilize if we would choose. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, we read this. But now abide, faith, hope, love, these three. Another translation puts it this way. But now remain, faith, hope, love, these three. Faith, hope, Love, all three living forces. We could read it this way. Now are alive these three spiritual forces, faith, hope, love. Where are these spiritual forces? They're in us. All three of these forces have been deposited in us. Their vi- vibrant, living, supernatural hope is in us right now. It says they remain. Faith, hope, and love remain. They abide. They don't come and go. They are in residence in our recreated spirit. They are living, Spiritual forces. Here's the proof. Romans 5.5 regarding love. The love of God is shed abroad. It's deposited. It is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 12.3 regarding faith. To each has been given by God the measure of faith. Hebrews 6.19 again regarding hope. This hope we have. We have. Where is it? It's in our spirit. And when utilized, it becomes an anchor. A stabilizing force of the soul. That means we can hope. This, it means this hope will, it'll settle our mind. It will set our will. It will stabilize our emotions if we choose to put it to work. We sang this morning. We finished up singing, my anchor holds within the veil. His covenant, his oath, two unchangeable things bringing us to faultless stand before the throne. Next time you sing it, see it. Next time you sing it, see it. See yourself. See your anchor. See that hope anchored on the other side of the veil. See yourself standing faultless before the throne. Not guilty. Not having an evil conscience. Being freed from that wash sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. See yourself standing faultless before the throne. Where's that supernatural hope anchored? It's My anchor holds within the veil. It's in us. It's in our recreated spirit. It's in the present-day Holy of Holies. Your recreated spirit is now the Holy of Holies on earth. The Holy of Holies is no longer in a physical tent or a physical uh, temple. You are the temple of God. How did you become the modern-day tent housing God? His presence was deposited in you along with all the resources resources of heaven after you were cleansed. After you were made a new creation, purified, made holy and perfect. In Hebrews 9, 23 and 24, reading from the New Living Translation, that is why the earthly tent and everything in it, which were copies, mere copies of things in heaven, why they had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified by far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ has entered into heaven itself to appear now before God as our advocate. He did not go into the earthly place of worship for that was merely a copy of the real temple in heaven. I want you to note the connection between the purified real things in heaven and Christ as our advocate. Here's the connection. Looking at 1 Corinthians 6:19, or do you not know that your body is a temple as in the real temple, as in the temple in the spiritual dimension? Don't think of heaven as out there somewhere. Heaven is the spiritual dimension. It's God's dimension. So think of your body as a temple, the real temple, the spiritual temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own. The heavenly utensils of worship, the heavenly vessels of worship are you and me. His presence was deposited in you It's you and me now. We are the vessels of worship. Let me put it this way. I don't believe that there were altars or lavers or cups or candlesticks or tables that were dirty or unclean in heaven. I'm not saying Jesus didn't go there. He did. Jesus, he shed his physical blood here on earth and then when he went into the spiritual dimension, when he went into heaven, the Bible tells us he went into heaven, he took his spiritual blood and Sprinkled that spiritual blood on the real things in heaven. I just don't think that they were cups and lavers and those physical utensils of worship that were used under the old covenant. Think of it this way. See, I, I, I believe that when... I believe that the vessels of worship, the utensils of worship that were cleansed in his journey and his activities are you and me. I want you to think of it this way. Writing utensils allow writing to be done. Eating utensils allow eating to happen. Worship utensils allow worship to be produced. Cups, labors, candles, tables, and altars do not produce worship. They're symbols. The Ark of the Covenant does not produce worship. It was a symbol. You and I are the reality of those old old covenant symbols. We're the reality of those old covenant symbols. And as cleansed vessels of worship, we produce worship. And when we were born again as cleansed vessels, God's nature, the promises, all the resources of heaven were deposited in the vessel. Ephesians 1, 3 says that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has who has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says this seeing that his divine power has already granted to us everything pertaining to life and Godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence for by these he has, by these what? By these things by the things pertaining to Godliness that are in you, those things have granted to you, already granted to you, his precious, innocent promises. Those things make the promises yes. That's what makes them yes, because they're in you. And the reason that these are in you, the reason that the promises have been granted to you is so that by them you may become partakers of what? The divine nature, which has also been deposited in you at the new birth. Those things allow you to participate, to pull, to draw that divine nature that is in you and bring it out into this natural realm. And then finally, what did Jesus say? We're talking about what's in there, what was deposited in us. Jesus said in Matthew, in Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is on the inside of you. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, reading from the message, you already have all things. Well, of course you do. If the kingdom's on the inside of you, you have all you need. You have all things. You, that's what it says. You already, out of the message, you already have all you need. This living hope that takes us within the veil is in us. It's in our recreated spirit. But we must lay hold of it, Hebrews 6.18. We must lay hold of it. We must put it to work if we want it to take us in. We must put it to work if we want it to take us behind the veil into the holy of holies. And here is one way that we can put it to work. Hope takes us in, Hebrews 6.19. Once again, hope takes us in. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. Put it to work. Lay hold of it and put it to work. Psalm 100, verses 1 and 4. On your feet now, put it to work. On your feet now, applaud God. Put it to work. Put this hope to work. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Enter, enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. This spiritual force residing within within us, hope, God's hope, is what takes us behind the veil. God's hope produces laughter and singing. We hear it in worship. Danny sits behind me. I know. I know when God's hope hits Danny and ignites his soul. I hear it. And those of you around me know. know, How many of you know? You know when God's hope hits Danny and ignites his soul. We hear it in worship. It produces laughter and singing. And when God's hope rises within us, we simply laugh at the enemy and what he's trying to do. With this hope, you can laugh and sing yourself into God's presence. Note the password in verse 4 of Psalm 100. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Thank him, worship him. Keep this password in mind as we proceed. Knowing where this modern day Holy of Holies, where God's presence resides, is important. It's not out there somewhere. Thinking it is will destroy us. Thinking that it is elusive. Thinking that it's hard to find or difficult to get to will destroy us. God tells us in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We need to know where it is if we're going to enter. And it is so close. We need only move from the head to the heart as we sang a little bit ago. The journey into the Holy of Holies and getting lost in his presence is no more than 12 to 16 inches. If you think you have to measure according to time and space, 12 to 16 inches is the length of the journey but it might as well be a thousand miles without the knowledge of where it is located. And yet we've been given the knowledge of where it's located. It's in us. It's in us. The Holy of Holies is in our recreated spirit. And we have been invited to make the move to enter in. Hebrews 4.14 and Hebrews 10.19-23 records the invitation. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence. Because of what Jesus did, paving the way as the forerunner, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. God's throne. To God's throne with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now to Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence is faithful. Come boldly. Come. Come boldly. Come with confidence. Come in full assurance. Full assurance of faith. Holding firmly to the confession of our hope. What is the confession of our hope? The confession of our hope is Jesus' finished work, the work of the cross. It is not our work. It is not our behavior. It is not our doctrine. It is not our sacrifice. The confession of our hope is the finished work of Jesus. And because of his finished work, we can come boldly. Come boldly. Come boldly is to, to us what meet me on the mountain was to Moses in Exodus 24, 12. Time spent behind the veil to us is what time spent on Mount Horeb was to Moses where he experienced God's presence in the burning bush in Exodus 19:20. Or Mount Sinai, where the glory of God descended in front of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, when God gave the law and the Ten Commandments to Moses. They experienced the presence of God veiled as it was. In this account, God pitched his tent in the midst of them, and John chapter 1 tells us that he did the same for us with the word, with Jesus. And with Jesus' torn flesh, The veil into God's presence, into his reality, has been opened to us. We can enter in. This is our Mount Horeb. This is our Mount Sinai. Spending time on the other side of the veil is our Mount Horeb, our Mount Sinai. But I want to tell you this. We can't get there. We can't even see it while the outer tabernacle is still standing, while our flesh is still dominant while the physical natural realm is more real to us than the reality of God's realm, while it, is still, if, while it is still standing, while it is still ruling in our lives, it will be very difficult for us to see the things we're talking about this morning. Hebrews 9 verse 8 declares this, the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed, it's not yet been revealed while the outer tabernacle is still standing got a few more minutes. I want to share with you some things that God showed me in this. The writer of Hebrews is stating that the Jewish system of physical gifts and physical sacrifices had to come to an end. There would be no more reliance on the physical animal sacrifices. It now required a full transition to the eternal spiritual sacrifice of Jesus. The way into the Holy of Holies is revealed, it is disclosed, once the outer tabernacle, or as some translations put it, the first tabernacle, stands down. Watch these words. Our outer tabernacle, or you could say our first tabernacle, is our flesh, our body. It was what was born first. It's our first tabernacle. Our inner, or second born tabernacle, is our born again spirit which is now, as born-again creatures, it is the temple, it is the spiritual temple. You don't have a physical temple on the inside, but your body houses the spiritual temple, tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. It is the new covenant, holy of holies. And so we too must fully transition from reliance on the physical outer tabernacle to a reliance on the spiritual, or what I would call God's reality, if we'd like this new covenant, holy of holies, Disclosed to us. As we've already established, the natural physical realm is a veil concealing God's reality, the reality that's in us. It conceals the finished work of Jesus Christ that was accomplished in us when we were born again. Therefore, this flesh realm must be subjugated. You could say it must be torn or broken down, broken through, I should say, in order for us, in order to reveal the glory that God deposited in us when we were born again. Jesus' flesh was torn and the temple veil broken through in order to open the door to the presence of God. Would we all agree with that? That's what happened. God. That's what disclosed it. God subjugated the physical veil. He pulled it down. He made the physical veil stand down to the reality of the spiritual world, to the reality of His dimension and suddenly The dimension of the living word, Jesus, was disclosed. That took place when Jesus said, It is finished, all that happened. His flesh was torn, the barrier that no trespassing sign was taken down. We too must subjugate the physical veil. Okay, we've established this physical veil is veiling, concealing what's been produced in us in the new creation, we must subjugate that physical veil to the reality of what God has wrought in us. We must order the man, we must order the outer tabernacle to stand down. And the spiritual, the God's reality, must rise to the ascendancy in our lives if we are, able, if we are going to be able to see or have this holy of holies beyond the veil revealed to us and enter in. The holy place The presence of God cannot be disclosed, it cannot be seen, it cannot be observed as long as we insist that the way in is through the outer tabernacle, through the means of the natural, physical realm, whether it be performance or alignment. What do I mean by alignment? What I mean by it it, it is signified in this way. It is conveyed in this way. When I mean alignment, how many of you ever said or heard somebody say, I'll believe it when I see it? Okay? Okay. I'll believe it when I see it is a natural realm alignment demand. In saying, it, I, in saying it, I refuse to experience God's presence. I refuse to experience God's reality until I see, until I see. Get, get this. I'll believe it when I see it. So in saying that, I am refusing to accept. I'm refusing to enter in and agree with God's reality until I see, see that I'm healed. See that I experience what I'm believing for. Experience that relationship restored. I'm refusing. I'm refusing to be. I'm refusing to acknowledge that God's reality is my reality until I feel that things are right. Until I have the money in hand. Until I see the physical realm, the natural realm, align with what God says is true. In other words, I'm not going to. Experience God's reality until the natural realm aligns with it. And that attitude must die. It must stand down. The outer tabernacle, the natural, must be subjugated to the realities of the inner sanctuary. It has got to stand down. See, I want to say this. Believing is for things you don't see. Seeing is for things you have. So that renders the statement, I'll believe it when I see it. nonsensical it makes no sense you can say I believe it and you can say I see it but you can't say I'll believe it when I see it let me give you an example I mean I think a fourth grader would understand this would tell you if I stood up there and said I believe that this water bottle is in my hand you know if I stood up there and a bunch of fourth graders right here I believe this water bottle they'd start snickering and look at each other and go something wrong with that guy and they'd say we can see that that bottle is in his hand you don't have to believe it see that's the thing you don't have to believe what you see it's there It's a reality. But you believe things that that, that you do not see. So believing is for things you do not see. Seeing is for things you have. If we think the natural realm must align before we can enter in or experience God's reality, we are sadly mistaken, for we've got it backwards. The alignment of the natural realm occurs following our having experienced God's reality, not preceding it. As long as the way into the holy place, as long as the way into God's presence or His reality is through the outer tabernacle, through our attempt to align the natural realm by our own effort, our own performance, our own behavior, we will never see the holy place. As long as the outer tabernacle of performance or alignment remains standing, and is dominant the holy place cannot be disclosed there's only one way in there's only one way in this hope god's hope and to get in to get in we need to meditate long enough for our god-given hope that hope that is anchored on the other side of the veil anchored in the finished work on the other side of the veil we need to meditate on that long enough to penetrate the flesh long enough to penetrate the natural realm and its disappointments, its anger, its circumstances, its pain, and that's all there. But this whole thing that we've been discussing this morning is designed for us to penetrate through that, enter into God's dimension, His reality, and move into His realm. But when we do that, if we will make that effort to subjugate the natural realm and elevate God's realities, let, that, let God's realities ascend to a higher level of value in our lives. When we do that, what can we experience once we've entered within the veil? What can we experience once we've entered into the Holy of Holies? And next week, we're going to begin by answering that question, and we're going to cap this thing off. We're going to finish it up by looking at what are some of, the, some of the results of spending time on the other side of the veil. And Isaac, you can come up at this time and close us down. And I thank you for your attention and your patience.